Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I feel like the normal girl sort of visiting for a very long time in a not normal world and trying to bridge the two worlds together. This is Death, Sex, and Money. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. I'm Anna Sale. Imagine being in your late 20s, building a career as a backup singer, and you get summoned to audition for Mick Jagger. This is what happened to Lisa Fisher. You know, I bring my tape, and Mick is sitting behind a desk. And he has the boombox, and he puts the tape in, and he's listening. And I'm kind of standing around, and I'm waiting to see what this is going to be. Because there's no—I don't remember there being a piano or anyone there to play it or anything like that. So he's listening to the tape, and— and then he says, well, can you sing along with it? So I started singing along with it. I'm standing, I'm singing. He gets up from behind the desk and he starts coming around to me and starts kind of moving around and dancing. And it's kind of not quite freaking me out, but kind of freaking me out because I didn't, I didn't know You're what he was doing. You're singing along to a boombox yeah. and he starts <laughs> dancing around you. Right, exactly. She got the job. Lisa's sung backup on every Rolling Stones tour since 1989. That wailing voice on stage during Gimme Shelter, that's her. This is from the Stones' 2004 album, Live Licks. Just the full-on bra slinging, beer chugging, screaming and yelling and tits in the air kind of audience. And, and it's been interesting to watch this audience grow up and now bring their kids and their grandkids. Uh-huh. So it's just been insanely amazing. But when the tours are over, Lisa comes home to a life that's not quite as glamorous. Everything's a mess, sorry. There are remnants Uh, of her rock star life, but they're stacked in a corner, Uh, as she told the makers of 20 Feet from Stardom, the Oscar-winning documentary about backup singers. Yeah, these are all gold albums I haven't put up yet. Um, That's something from Tina Turner's tour that was a gift from her. Lisa lives in Union City, New Jersey, which isn't far from the Brooklyn apartment building where she grew up. A combination of a walk-up and an elevator building where I don't know if if they ran out of money to, like, put the elevator on each floor, but it's like all the even floors didn't get the elevator <laughs> exit and the odd floors got the elevator. So I was lucky enough to, you know, have the elevator on my floor. She's the oldest of three with two younger brothers. All of them are very close in age. When I do the math, I think my mom was pregnant with me at 15. And then my dad was a year older. And so... You know, by the time she was 19, she had three kids. And so, and they were still young and wanted to hang out and go out. Or they would have, you know, people over and and have parties at the house and stuff. There was always laughter and always, you know, um, glasses with ice clicking and and music. What's the music you remember? Motown, mostly. 
Both Lisa's parents were singers. Her father sang backup for a doo-wop group called the Cupids. Was there enough money growing up? Did it feel like you had enough? <laughs> Mm-mm. My dad, he didn't have his GED. And so I remember being in school and sitting at the kitchen table doing my homework. And my dad was also doing his homework. And um, I, don't, I don't know if he ever passed the test or not. I just know that he ended up uh, working for the board of it and not being very happy there. And when Lisa was around 14, he took off. You know, after my dad left, um, we ended up, my mom was a single mom, and so we ended up being on welfare for a while. You know, I can still remember the taste of the powdered eggs that would come in this canister. And it had a different kind of flavor to it versus real eggs. So I was sort of getting used to that. You know, my mom had this thing. I think it got to a point where she she wouldn't allow us into the refrigerator. It was like a thing in her house where, you know, you wouldn't go through the fridge because she had to be sure that there was enough food to last for the two weeks until my dad got paid again or until the two weeks when the welfare or the food stamps would come in. It was stressful for Lisa's mom. She started drinking more, and then she began having seizures. The first time that it happened, she was on the phone. I was in my room doing my homework, and the phone is in the hallway. I just hear, blam! And I come out, and my mom is laying in um, a pool of blood from her head, and she starts to convulse, and I had never seen anything like this before. And so I call 911 and I tell them, you know, what's going on. And then the ambulance came for her and took her to the hospital. Her mother was put on anti-seizure medication and she wasn't supposed to drink alcohol while taking it. Lisa says her mother did anyway. I was at my teacher's house when I got the call that she just passed away. So when I came home, they just said that she had a seizure and she didn't wake up. And how old were you when your mother passed away? 17. Yeah. So you were nearing the end of school, trying to figure out what the next step was. You yeah. have these two younger brothers. Yeah. It's interesting. Luckily, my mom had uh, an amazing sister who is kind of like my mother now. You know, our mother now, really. She's, I call her auntie. My mom was like, want to get married, have my babies, homemaker, good wife, good mother. That's all I want. I'm good. My aunt, on the other hand, was like, I need a job. I need to work. I need to make my own money. I need to make my own way. It's like when I looked at my aunt, she was, I almost felt more like her daughter in, in just uh, my desire to break free and get out of the house and make my own money. So I kind of just gravitated more to watching how she lived her life, you know. Lisa got a scholarship to study opera at Queens College. It covered tuition. 
And I was like, oh, this is so great, teaching me just this whole new world of melodies and language. And just it was just lovely for me. But I still needed to get to Queens. (laughs) 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 And I, you know, I still needed to eat lunch and things like that. So, you know, I was just trying to figure out how I was going to live. And I just got exhausted from, you know, trying to do these jobs and trying to study in between and the travel and just all that stuff. It just wore me down and my mom had just passed and I was still like, bleh. So I ended up leaving Queens College. And so I started working like little little clubs up in the Bronx where they would, you know, it'd be late hour joints and, you know, you'd do like three to five sets a night and you might get paid 30 bucks but if you get like maybe four or five of those a week you're good to go you know then lisa met luther vandross she toured with him beginning in 1983 when lisa was 24 until luther's death in 2005 this is their 1996 duet whether or not the world gets better Coming up, what Lisa wishes she'd learned about money on those global rock and roll tours. And not from Mick or Keith or Luther. Usually the crew people will have it on point. And like somebody told me a great story about they would take their per diem, save their per diem, and buy gold coins. And ended up able to get a down payment for a really nice house. We've just made it through another Valentine's Day. And if you chose to celebrate, I hope you got to spend time with the people you love most. But we also know that the holiday can be a painful reminder of lost loves. And the isolation of the pandemic can magnify the pain of a breakup. If you need support to navigate all those feelings, check out our Breakup Survival Guide. There's a link to it in our show notes. It's a spreadsheet that we've been building with you for years now crowdsourcing the activities, books, and the advice that has helped you when your heart has been tender at the end of a relationship. And for those of you in long-term relationships, we've been thinking about you too. Perhaps the pandemic has underlined a decision you need to make about your partnership, like moving in together or living apart, opening up your relationship, or something else might be on your mind. We're putting together a group of panelists to help you solve those relationship dilemmas. So record a voice memo telling us if you are struggling with a decision about your romantic relationship and send it to us at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. By the time she was 32, Lisa Fisher's career was humming. She'd been working with Luther Vandross for nearly a decade and now had a solo album. She was a backup singer, breaking through. You've done your time, you've paid your dues, <laughs> yeah, she and now... Paid her dues. This is from Live with Regis and Kathy Lee. They wanted to know about touring with the Rolling Stones. So what was it like uh, working with them? Exciting. It was no. the first time I was on a private plane. They had beds on a plane. I bet they did. Ooh, oh, no, you're kidding! Stop! Will you stop? Stop! 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 
Lisa's single, How Can I Ease the Pain, hit number one on the R&B charts. And then she won a Grammy. How can I ease the pain, Lisa Fisher? It was a tie with Patti LaBelle. And Lisa had sung backup on Patti's winning song. There's so many people to thank. There's so many people to thank. <laughs> oh, God. Um, all the people. Like your life explodes. How do you remember that time? It's so funny when you say explodes. I just feel like, um, you know, I look at every, every task that I have to do like a list. And I tick them off and then I keep moving. You know, I would go from gig to gig to gig to gig. Getting a record deal was a gift from heaven, from Luther. You know, Luther believed that I could, and I'd been doing all these demos, and I didn't really know what being an artist would mean. I never really knew what I was. Mm. I felt like there was the glass slipper, and I had to be able to fit into every single glass slipper there was in order to keep working. But that impulse ended up hurting Lisa's solo career. Her record company couldn't figure out what to do with her, she says, because she liked everything. She lost her deal. And then she thought she had another one. And that fell through, too. I'm in my early 30s. And trying to get me a deal after all this has happened felt like we were begging someone to do us a favor. You know, and I was just like, I don't, I don't like the energy of this. This, this. this is not what the music is supposed to be about. I kind of stepped back into what I felt good about doing. That was singing with someone else in the spotlight. She's backed up Dolly Parton, Beyonce, Lou Reed, and Bobby McFerrin, and toured with Tina Turner, Nine Inch Nails, and the Rolling Stones as recently as last fall. Lisa told the New York Times in 2013 that I reject the notion that the job you excel at is somehow not enough to aspire to, that there has to be something more. But there is still the money question. So now it's at the point where, you know, I'm in my 50s, 40s and 50s, and I'm starting to think like, okay, what am I going to do? You know, how am I going to, you know, feed myself? How am I going to be okay and not, you know, have cat food at 80. Is that that a concern after touring with the Rolling Stones and having a relationship with them for 25 years? Do you not feel financially secure? It is, and it really isn't um, casting any shadows on, on, on how they practice their business. It's really more a statement about music. And I'll speak for myself. All the things that I did not um, join together as a thought. like So, hmm. you know, when you think about a regular job, you know, there's a fund and there's a retirement thing and there's insurance and blah, 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 and there's a health thing and blah. You know, as a, as a singer, I wasn't thinking that way. I'm, you know, you're staying at all these great hotels and, you know, everybody's like spending money like water. And, you know, you're buying the caviar for breakfast and the yada yada because you can. And it's just so new and it's just so cool and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and now I'm looking like, you know, that was stupid. <laughs> that was really dumb. <laughs> that literally went down the toilet. <laughs>
when I think about the money that I have um, gone through, I have to laugh to myself. You know, so I wasn't thinking creatively about money, and it's really almost life and death to think about money in creative ways, you know. So, yeah, I think about things differently now. I don't have the credit card at Neiman Marcus anymore. I don't have, you know, I, I have maybe literally two credit cards, and one is for business and one's for personal, and the other one's just my little ATM card. And I just, you know, I, I don't like to look at how much I have because it's never enough. And that's a strange feeling for a woman who's wanted to work and earn her own money since she was a kid. You know, me finding a paper route or working at the local supermarket, making some money was such a great feeling for me. And it's so odd because I realized for me, I was talking to a therapist about this a while back, that my mother's rule about not going in the refrigerator, the first thing that I did was fill the refrigerator with food and things that I wanted to have because I bought it, you know. So that feeling of being independent was just so powerful on one end, but also realized that that was sort of leading into a food and eating disorder for me as well. Hmm. When did you confront your eating disorder? <sighs> Confront's an interesting word. <laughs> I think most seriously, probably in the last four years, I'm not throwing up anymore, which is great. I'm not, I have moments when I still overeat, but I'm also, it's like I just want to be healthy about my choices and not beat my own butt about when I have a moment when it's not the best choice. And to really get down to understanding the words, loving myself. You know, everyone's dealing with something and it's, the act of losing is something that I feel that we aren't taught how to feel about that kind of thing. You just feel how you feel and you learn your survival techniques however you learn them. come home from touring for months on end, you've never married, you no. don't have children. No. What's nice about finally being alone? Oh. Hmm. Some days I wonder if there is something nice about it. It's, it's a fiasco at my house. It looks like a, a transient woman <laughs> with suitcases has exploded in my apartment. But, um... Yeah, it's weird going on tour for six months or three months or whatever, whatever the time is, and then coming home, and there's spider webs, and there's, yeah. you know, stuff growing in your fridge. But when I get home, I sort of feel like 
I can breathe. I don't have the weight of feeling like I'm going to fail at something. Mm. You know, I don't feel like, um, I feel a lightness. And so I'm, I, I get home and I'm happy and I sit and I tape, and this is really stupid, but I, this is one of the things I love to do. I will tape all the um, Judge Judy uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> things. And when I get home, I'm like, I'll sit and I'll watch all the, you know, episodes that I've missed. And my aunt and I just talk on the phone, did you see what she said? You're an idiot. Yes, it's just, we just, we have a great time. So it's like, it normalizes me. Yeah. It normalizes me. And um, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> That was Lisa Fisher in a conversation we recorded back in 2015. I recently called up Lisa at home. She now lives in Brooklyn, and she told me she did not perform for much of 2020 with venue shutdowns and her own anxiety about COVID. But she started doing shows again last year and was getting herself ready for a gig when I called. I was afraid to go get my mail from the mailbox. I was afraid to literally, I would look at the bottom of my front door and see, you know, the light peeping in from outside. And I thought to myself, is there COVID coming underneath my door into my apartment? Yeah. And so to get out and sing in front of humans, I was just like, I don't know if I could do this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know if I can handle this. Um, And then after a while, I, I, uh, I, uh, I just realized I had to get out there. I can... Uh, protect myself as much as I can and hope and pray that the people around me protect themselves and, and myself as much as they can and um, and that I get lucky. <laughs> you yeah. know, that I get lucky. Can you put to words what it has been like to get to go back into that exercise of singing for people? Like, when you oh. do get into that flow and all of the other mm. constraints fall away, like what has it been like to sort of get to come back to that space? It is so, um, it, it, it's always sort of been like a sacred space for me. You know, it's really, it's always been that. But for some reason, it, it's deeper now. I think because most people are, they've, we haven't been together in ways that we wish to be, Mm -hmm. and as often as we wish to be. It's almost like being like so hungry, so absolutely hungry, because you haven't had any food, any Mm. nourishment in a while. And so when when you get that first taste, it's like, oh. Oh. You know? Yeah. That's kind of how it feels for me. It's like it's nourishing for me to be able to um to just sing. It really, it really is. I mean, I I'm just so grateful for it. It's really my anchor and my serenity and my joy and my sometimes pain, but it's good pain. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's just I'm just so grateful. I don't know where I'd be without it. <laughs> I'm curious for you, you know, this is this is your gift. This is what you share. This is what uh, feeds you. And it's also what earns you money. Mm-hmm. Um, 
What what financially was it like for you to go through the pandemic? Uh, it was a real challenge and still continues to be. Um, you know, there hasn't been the same amount of work. There hasn't been the same amount of income, you know, because a lot of these uh, spaces are doing their best to hold on and to um, survive and pay their employees and just all their responsibilities. And so we all work together and, and just hunker down and figure it out, you know, a little bit by little bit. And um, I've been really uh, blessed to uh, be able to just do whatever work that comes my way. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have one more question for you, Lisa, and that is um, when we spoke before, you you talked about your aunt and feeling very mm. close to her, especially after your mother, your mother's yes. death. How is your aunt doing? Um, she is such a fighter. Um, she got COVID last year and was hospitalized and has dementia. And she um, was isolated. You know, she had to be isolated, and that was not healthy for her. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we prayed through and we begged and asked them if we could come and see her just so that she can hear a voice that she recognizes because she's in a, an, an environment that's alien to her. You know, and it was for almost over a month. Hmm. Um, she had some complications, but she is thriving now. She's doing well. God is good. I mean, we prayed really hard. We were gonna, hmm. we were afraid we we're gonna lose her, but she's hanging in there at 82, 81, 82. And, you know, she still remembers who we are, and she's she's happy. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do you all still enjoy Judge Judy together? Uh, yes. <laughs> she's amazing. She brings such joy. She's such a, she's my angel. She truly is. That's singer Lisa Fisher. She's on tour this winter and spring, and let me tell you, seeing her live is incredible. Find all of her tour dates at lisafishermusic.com. And we have videos of Lisa singing with the Stones, with Luther Vandross, and on her own, posted on our website at deathsexmoney.org. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. Our team includes Katie Bishop, Afi Yellowduke, Caitlin Pierce, Emily Botin, and Andrew Dunn. Our intern is Gabriella Santana. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Instagram at Anna Salepics, that's P-I-C-S. And the show is at Death, Sex, Money on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you to Michael Quancy in Princeton, New Jersey, who is a sustaining member of Death, Sex, and Money. Join Michael and support what we do here by going to deathsexmoney.org slash donate. There's this, this image that I picture whenever I go to turn on music for my kids of you describing the records your parents played um, in your apartment growing up. And what that gave you, my three-year-old occasionally asks for sax machine. That's what she thinks it's called. (laughs) 
I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC.